Welcome back to another look into the state of the league. This week we will be reviewing the final round of Rugby League World Cup matches. Uh, before we move on to the final series, we'll also be looking into the news. Um, Ricky will be providing some stats in our reviews for the first time, and then we'll preview the first finals round of the game, and also have a quick preview of the women's games, which will be coming up this Thursday night. So let's dig straight into the review of the games. Um, going out of order, I want to start with New Zealand and Tonga because that was the game of the round, if not the game of the tournament. New Zealand 22, Tonga 28. Go straight into it, Ricky. Well, a main player was Brad Takarangi, the Tack Attack. Good game from him. Seven runs, 51 metres, 7.29 metres per run, 11 tackles. I mean, had four missed tackles. Don't tell that to Eels fans. They'll, like, go crazy. Uh, had two try assists and two line break assists, so not a bad game from from our good old centre. As for the two Tongan players, Manu Mo and Penny Terapo, kind of similar game. So Manu played 80, 11 metres per run from five runs, 24 tackles and one miss. And Penny, 30 minutes, five runs, 38 metres for 7.6 metres per run, 19 tackles and two missed tackles. So everyone did their job. You could uh, you could say everyone did their job. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think um, I think all the Eels had a, a very strong game in this match. I think Takarangi was setting up tries for fun in the first half. Um, but I think the main takeaway of this is Tonga finally beating New Zealand in a World Cup match. And the, the crowd going wild, everybody going wild. That was just one of the best games of rugby league in general that I've seen in a while. It was a watershed moment for the Rugby League World Cup, wasn't it? Because that's the first time... A tier two nation by designation has beaten a tier one nation. Is that not right? In a world, you say it's right. I'm, I'm in a willing world to cup. believe you. I'm pretty certain I heard the commentary refer to it um, after the game as such. Yeah, that was yeah. a. I mean, there was so much passion as we expected in our last podcast. We tipped it, but there was so much passion in that game. You know, from the um, opening haka where they got and right the in the face. Towel. Right into the face of the Tongans who walked up and then the Sipitao in reply, which was led by Jason Tamalolo, who's usually quite an introverted character, but I believe he volunteered to um, lead that war dance. Um, I think and, the other players uh, wanted him to lead it, given you you know, what had happened, the yeah. defection, and he, he sort of took that as an honour. Which and, um, you, you love, you love to see those sort, of, those sort of storylines from before World Cup develop into the game. That's just, you know, fantastic theatre for the game itself. And, yeah, the, the crowd was just rocking, wasn't it? That was the... Um, sec- Did they sell out the um, the Samoa Tonga game? If not, it was, uh, if not, it was damn close, close. Because that would make two sellouts or near sellouts in New Zealand, along with the two sellouts in Papua New Guinea, which was really, really encouraging to see. Yeah, what a, what a game, though. I mean, New Zealand raced out to an early lead. Um, there was a bit of... Um, sort of fortune for the New Zealanders early on, a bit of bad luck for the Tongans. That probably didn't reflect the scoreline perfectly in the first half, but then they just roared back to life in the second half and wandered more, I suppose, to use a really she rugby leagueism or sportism. They, thought, they, they wandered I thought, more. Um, I thought um, Nelson, Sofa Salabona and Fafida were going to, you know, get on with it and punch on. It's just just how he's in his face. You know, I've seen a junior's, a junior um, similar incident when it resulted in all-in brawl, so I didn't, you know. Yeah, looked, the under-18s. All in, you know, yeah. About two years ago, I remember there were fights. <laughs> and when I was watching it, I thought literally the game was in Tonga. Like, well, a 70% it's, crowd. It, it's a, it's a sort of established rule in rugby union, I believe, that you're not allowed to advance the haka from either team as a, as a, you know, rule because of that. It leads to some altercations in the, um, the pregame. But geez, yeah. geez, it adds the theatre and the tension of the game when they do it without blowing up into an all-out brawl. 
that um that really like lit the fuse for that game and it was fantastic i loved it i loved every moment of that game yeah see my biggest takeaway from the game i think aside from the fact that tonga won is you know there's now no excuse for this for that win to not be made a springboard for more international games for the minnow nations i mean it just shows you that well that that's that's really been the sort of the defining point of this world cup hasn't it is that tonga led the way with you know inverted comma the defections from the the tier one countries but it's really led to some Yes, there's been buyouts, but there's also been a lot of plucky game, like plucky teams, some um, surprising results, you know. And we've, we're seeing that if you do spread the talent round, you know, you can get some good rugby on the international level. Whereas before, it was literally a tri nations every you know year or other year, where you'd have Australia, New Zealand, and England. Tonga's emerged, you know. They're they're legitimately a tier one country now. So they should um, be. I mean, yeah, after and, that, and you know, that, that's 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 what you want to see moving forwards. And I mean. We'll probably get to it later on, but there was already been talk of a, a pay cut to the the kangaroos, maybe to help subsidise other countries, which is a really encouraging sign. It's something that we've mentioned before, and yeah. you you really like seeing that coming out of such a important win for rugby league internationally in that uh, Tongan upset of New Zealand. Uh, one thing that was disappointing for me is that Michael Jennings was a late withdrawal, which means we didn't get to see the um the left edge right edge showdown between um Jenko and Taka. Um, That's but- right. Mahe Fanua actually did surprisingly well for mine, so Tigers fans would be pretty encouraged by that performance. But um, he was playing behind a pretty dominant pack, and he was ripping it himself. Um, do we know what the extent of Jeng's injury was? Was it just a, a strain in the warm-up, or is it something a bit more dire? I haven't seen anything reported, so if no, someone I else... Think, yeah, no, I, I think by the by the sounds of it, it's, it was nothing serious. It was a, It's the kind of one, because it's the hamstring, you know, you just, just yeah, as like a precaution, take just take him out, because yeah. if they play, they can, you know... You can tear it, and it can be like six weeks out or something. So I think it was just precaution, mm. precaution more than so anything. The, the, so the Tongans weren't arrogantly resting players, unlike the Samoans. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that match. All right. If we're finished with New Zealand v Tonga, um, we'll move straight on to what was the first match of the round: Fiji thirty-eight, Italy ten. Take it away. Uh, so we had the two two players in there: good old Bun- Daniel Bundy Alvaro and Brownie. Uh, so they both played similar minutes, actually, 58 and 57 minutes, which is quite interesting. Um, Alvaro, 15 runs, 114 metres, 7.6 metres per run, 30 tackles on just the one miss. And Brownie, yeah, so 57 minutes, as said, only the eight runs on 63 metres in total, but 7.88 metres per run, 31 tackles and a miss. So they're both, I mean, I guess relatively similar across the board. And in, in the end, I mean, that d- d- doesn't matter what they would have done. The Fijians were just too good anyway, so... It's very true. It probably wasn't the demolition that you might have tipped. The, I- the Italians held in there for a while. I was trying to think. I mean, they, they scored that one arsy try of the Italians, which sort of kept the scores level early on, which oh, made for that, pretty funny viewing. That probably been the, dead set. They'd probably, probably be in the tries of the tournament, but not necessarily for great that, execution. They No, that, that, that's the sort of try I'd expect to see in like the under 10s or something. <laughs> they're just, they're just sort of like a, just doing whatever and put a boot to the ball and just, you know, it's just, I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, so Suliessi Vunavalu continues to prove the fury that when he scores one, he's probably going to score two or three. He got a hat trick. Yeah, and so he's, Jared still holds the, um, the Rugby League World Cup record, but Vunavalu is breathing down his neck, um, closer and closer to every game that goes past when it comes to try scored. This is Vunavalu's first World Cup, isn't it? I yeah. believe so, yeah. <laughs> he's and, the try scoring machine. 
and he's like what 22 or 23 or something so he's got plenty of time to he's rack got, him he's up got, got at least two world cups left in him there was one little bit of controversy in this game which saw two players getting sin binned and um featuring two ex eels funnily enough uh when joey tramontana got a little kidney punch in and um jared hayne took mm-hmm. exception to it and I, I thought it was pretty weak but from the refs to bin jared to be honest because that is the weakest third man in i've ever seen he saw Tramontano lay the kidney punch on and then he just got up and pushed, I uh, came in and pushed him. And, um, or even if it counts as pushing him and then both players got binned. That sort of added a little bit of, a little spice because that game was actually surprisingly fiery. A lot of penalties for, um, heavy contact. And this is, uh, the first time those two teams met in the World Cup. Just emotions were running high. And, um, I mean, it was pretty fun to watch, but Fiji got through, which will, um, put them through obviously on top of their table into the finals. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, that, that was pretty much my wrap on the game. Um, I think there were 16 penalties at half time. So for a second, I thought Perinara was out there. <laughs> <laughs> triggered. Triggered as a Parramatta fan. As a Rugby League fan, probably, more than anything else. <laughs> no, so um, if we're we're happy with that, we're moving on to a result that we all saw coming. Um, Scotland 14, Samoa 14. Oh, I mean, that was predicted, you know, months ago when the, when the draws were first announced, right? That it would be a 14 or draw with um, Samoa going through to the finals without a single win to their name. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was interesting. Um, the the Scottish, you know, full credit to them. Um, they just turned up for that sort of that game. They played their hearts out. And yeah, I mean, Samoa were just beyond bad, weren't they? Just no execution. Kept turning the ball over in their red zone. Uh, Lafway had just a number of silly offloads inside his own 20 metres. Um, they, they rested a couple of key forwards. And it sort of backfired. I don't know. Yeah, I think they came into that game thinking they were going. Yeah, they 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 checked the win in the you know their schedule and they they got ambushed. I don't know. Uh, I, the lack of Benny Roberts. No Benny. <laughs> I mean, we we laugh, but you know he was probably their best performing half of the the World Cup to date, and you rest him and yeah. they had a you know a, a two young guys, Luai the the Penrith half, the twenties half, and. Farmanu Brown, and they just couldn't take the game by the scruff of the neck at any point. And you, you combo that with all the turnovers from the forwards and backs, and Scotland, you know, were right, right in that. And I tell you what, that um little was it number six, I believe it was the little redhead. Um, he's got a cannon for cannon for a leg, and he just missed a forty meter field goal at the death. We drilled it just to the left of the uprights, and that would have been. You know, probably the biggest upset we would have seen in the tournament. Damn Scots! They ruined Scotland! It makes you think if uh, if the milk was available for Samoa, what could they, you know, could they be similar to Tonga, you know, in terms of uh, causing an upset against a tier one nation? So, Well, so, I mean, remember as well, Samoa are missing guys like Antonio Winnerstein is going to play, but he had, he had off-season surgery. He's been quite good for them in the past. Um, and it's like... It's like Four or five players that they sort of could have had but didn't have, and so they had to, you know, pick these young guys that don't have too much rep experience overall. As a general rule of thumb, it tends to be the biggest Achilles heel of the Pacific Nation teams is their playmakers, and you know, even in Tonga's case, they're sort of making do with a couple of young guys and Tui Lola here and Ada Hingano, and um, without uh, Milford. You sort of you're looking at a pretty bad cupboard for Samoa, aren't you? And if he'd been there, it would have been probably a game changer for him. You know, as but far funnily as enough, having... uh, Scotland were missing a, a couple of players even from last week. Even you know the three were were stood down. I think 
Scotland haven't played at an international level without their captain Danny Bro for for something like fifteen years. So yeah, he's, he's been a, a staple of that team, hasn't he? Yeah, but um, I mean they they can go home for. I know they got hammered a couple of times, but they can go home with their heads held up high after that game. That was you know fantastic as far as the efforts concerned. Considering the conditions too, that was a really windy game. So you had um, you know some really tough sort of clearing kicks and whatnot. One cute thing I thought that they did, which I really liked, was the squib uh, line dropouts. The drilling that ball low and flat and looking for that, you know, spike bounce to to the sideline, um, which is a sort of a variation on the short dropout that Des likes in the NRL. You know, you're looking to turn a, you know, a defensive set on your line into a turnover. Um, it's one of those plays that I, I like teams using because I feel like, especially more so um, line dropouts and kickoffs at least, it's a higher percentage play than you think because you're going to invariably be giving the opposition team a couple of attempts to score on your line regardless of a long kick or not. So you might as well go for a, a swing in possession. All right, not too much left for that game. There was no uh, Eels, unfortunately, in in that match. Um, on to the next one, Australia 34, Lebanon nil. I think the, the score sort of belies how close this was for the majority of the game. Ricky? Uh, so we had the three players. One is... Uh... Everyone's favourite fullback, Anthony Vayun. So had the 80 minutes, 10 runs, only 64 metres, which as a fullback is not great. So 6.4 metres per run, five tackles and a miss. The world's greatest half, Mitchell Moses, only played the 71 minutes. So I'm not, I can't recall if he came off injured or not, or they just rested him or whatever it was. Uh, but he had 10 runs as well, 52 metres, 5.2 metres per run, 17 tackles and three misses. But... Lebanon's player of that game for sure, Tim Manor, 58 minutes, 12 runs for 111 metres, 9.25 metres a run, 35 tackles and one missed tackle. So Tim Tim Manor leading the way for, I guess, what was a, a bit of an inconsistent Lebanon side in some regard, but it's good to see Timmy shutting up some of the haters in some, in, in, in some ways. It, it wasn't as bad as the um, game against England, but geez, Lebanon copped a couple of tough calls when the contest was still close. Yes. Uh, they showed plenty of ticker as a lot of the underdog teams have this tournament. It was really unfortunate that the sort of the not the backbreaker, but the the opening exchanges were lost when um, Anthony Lyon dropped the regulation bomb on his goal, well, that, which led yeah. to, uh, yes. that that led to the opening points to uh, was it Munster or Morgan? Uh, Munster, Munster, I think. Yeah, I think it was Munster. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, Tim, Tim Manor, this World Cup has been fantastic. He's really, um, shouldered the, the load of a, you know, pack of no names barring Alex Twal. Um, you know, most of those guys are even New South Wales Cup or Ron Massey tier, um, players. But they've, they've obviously, you know, pulled their weight relative to their fame. But, um, Tim's been fantastic. Plenty of aggression the way he's been running. Uh, I thought Moses tried really hard. He didn't overplay his hand too much, which is good. Um, he's been really aggressive in defense, actually, for Lebanon. He's been um, pushing off the line when the ball comes out on those sort of sweet, like not sweeps, but you know the, those early shifts. And he's really punished the um, the opposing half. I think he got Maloney a couple of times to force errors early on. Um, he missed, the, you know, he missed the odd tackle, which you expect, but the effort level was fantastic. Um, he got hammered a couple of times late, not late. Like within the acceptable uh, level, but jeez, he gets hit hard because he's so small. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lebanon, like Hamish said at the start, that scoreline didn't really reflect the contest. Um, and there, a couple of NRL players, <clears throat> Josh Mansour, 
away from um, being another pretty competitive tier two nation. I think this was another game where the lower or lower tier nation, the crowd was like heavily in their favour, and you could tell Mansell was copping it in the first half on that far side. He was copping that. That was awesome. Like the 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 um, broadcast microphones were actually picking up the the jeering and the heckling, which is you know a really cool part of that game. Once again, we're talking about storylines coming to the game. Mansell's sort of commitment and defection from Le- Australia to Lebanon to Australia was, um, you know, pretty pretty big focal point coming in. Um, and they did a really good job in him, actually. They they were quite physical with their kick chases. Every time I got the ball, he got hammered. Well, not hammered, but met pretty um, pretty solidly. So there was obviously a little their bit right of... Side, their right side did a number on them. They were rushing up, you know, making contact. You know, actually, they were pretty much up to the game. The game. The, well, eventually, they if just, they just pull up the game, the player that caught my eye in this game, he's a half by trade, I think, but the left centre from South Sydney, uh, Lebanon, Adam Dewey. and Dewey. Adam, yeah, I thought Adam Dewey. Yes. Yeah, I thought he, he played a really strong physical game. Was aggressive in defence as Moses was on the other edge and ran really hard. Um, so that that was a really like sort of I was like, who's that player? And you know, jumped on the the tablet to Google his name. And um, yeah, he he jumped off the screen. Um, Leash had a couple of strong carries. Um, and what about poor Chris Saab? I, I actually feel really bad for that bloke. Yeah, and they'll they'll telling the story on the TV. But you know, for 17 years, it's been his dream to play for Lebanon in a World Cup. And oh, he, te- yeah. technically, he's he's played, but he's not going to remember any of it because he's had a couple of brutal concussions. One in the warm up oh, in the yeah. first game, and then when he copped the. Was it a shoulder charge? Wasn't a shoulder charge from Aaron Woods and David Clemmer, um, which you know he was like out. He tried to get up about half a dozen times, and he had the sea legs underneath him. Yeah, I mean that's I, I'd say Chris Arbit. He's probably the story of the World Cup just for that. I mean, as I said, forty waiting seventeen years to to actually play for Lebanon in a World Cup, and because I mean that that's that story they ran on seven. He. Several times, like you know, several times in the last five, six years, he's contemplated just just retiring. But you know, just the just the opportunity to just play for Lebanon at, at a World Cup kept him going. And yeah, you know, unfortunately, he may not remember, may not remember any of it. Well, poor guy. So the the concern for him now is that two concussions in three games mean mean if there's serious concussion protocol for the World Cup means he should be in serious doubt for the sudden death final next week. But you know, knock he on wood, he, on the extended bench. Yeah, knock knock on wood, he has a chance to play because to actually play a proper game, you know, instead of being pulled out either in the warm up or in the first twenty minutes, because you know Lebanon getting through to a, the quarterfinals or the the round of sixteen, I'm not sure what it's billed as um, quarterfinals. So you know, be really cool for him and for Lebanon. But I mean, Lebanon's been a great story of this World Cup. And as I said before, I think there are a couple of more NRL commitments from players away from being a, a really solid Tier 2 country in the looming World Cups um, moving forwards. All right, moving right along to the next match, which was USA nil PNG 64. The story of the World Cup is USA's inability to score points and PNG's ability to rack up the points. Now, the more interesting part is that Gary Lowe didn't score a try. That's what everyone was saying on Twitter. <laughs> how, how, how did Gary Lowe, all the tries that they've scored, and Gary Lowe scored like two? Yeah, this was, I mean, we, we, we thought it was going to be one-sided, and it was every bit as one-sided as we, you know, we tipped. Um, the, the Yanks are actually pretty unlucky enough to get on the board. The Kamals made a fantastic try-saving effort. 
in like the 72nd minute, I think it was. Yes, they, that's um, right. That they were over for all money. Yeah. David Mead yeah. got under the ball and held him yeah. up. Yeah, that was, um, you know, considering the time of the game and how much they were winning by, you didn't need to make that tackle. But that's the sort of sort of effort that coaches love to see. Um, and I tell you what, if if next week's game or this week's game, however you want to bill it, was played in PNG because they came out of their pool on top, I'd give them an outside chance to maybe upset England. But as it stands, they're coming to Australia to play. So I, I think England will probably get the job. We'll talk about that later. But that stadium is such an advantage for them. The you know 20,000 just raucous uh, home fans, you know, stomping and screaming and hollering every time their team does something. It's an incredible sight. And it, it really speaks towards pushing the game more in Port Moresby and PNG because it's an incredible, incredible rugby league uh, stronghold. I think for PNG, it's, you know, I mean, fair enough. They've, they've been playing teams that I guess you could say are not as strong, but some of the, the, the key for PNG is just their forwards just getting a roll on. Like, and it's, you know, it, it's guys that, if you look at a team list, you're, you, you know, most people might be like, oh, who are these guys? But, you know, the, the Albert brothers, Wellington and Stanton, you've got Luke Page, um, even a guy like Reese Martin, who, He's been playing for the Bulldogs in in the New South Wales Cup all year and he's having the tournament of his life. I mean, he's just there on the whatever edge he plays on. I can't even remember. But he's just there just doing his thing and they're they're all just leading from the front and I think that's that's what makes it so easy for the Boas brothers and, you know, Gary Lowe and all these guys to just score points so freely because they're just sort of the forwards are just dominating every team they play so far. No one saw the free hooker strategy coming. It just blinds out everyone. Well, I think we touched on it. I think we touched on it in the first week, but it's their outside backs just starting on the sets. They're getting 10, 20 metres off it. Yeah. Each carry. And um, once you do that, you know, they're just playing field position. Uh, The Boas brothers are doing what they need to do. And then um, you've got players like James Seguiaro hovering around the middle of the field and just creating uh, line breaks at will. Lock and Lamb scored scored a, the opening try on debut, which is a cool little thing for him. He's been um, yeah. float, floating around the, the the game day squad for the last couple of games. Finally got a chance. He had a quite a good game, actually. Is he um, a nephew or something? Nephew. Nephew, sorry. I yeah. Nephew. Um, no, I think that's right. They were, they were saying on the telecast. But no, he he had a quietly good game. Well, not quietly good because he scored two tries, but <laughs> he, he had quite a good game. <laughs> But yeah, they just they they play with so much passion, don't they? The the Kumuls. and it's really fun to watch. It's not always the the greatest executed game plan. Um, yeah, there's a few errors and whatnot, but they just they play with such intensity, and you know, hopefully they can spring an upset moving forwards. Anyway, All right, moving on to um, unfortunately Irish thirty four Wales six, and I say unfortunately because we won't be seeing Ireland anymore. They're gone. Um, yeah, I, oh, sorry, you can go. I no, this one, this one. This is probably the part of the World Cup that annoys me. Like Ireland, Ireland had a good tournament. Like they won two games on four points, and yeah. yet you know the like Samoa and Lebanon, who in terms of points finished below them, are somehow Ireland. The Ireland would have been of, the biggest beneficiaries of a proper sixteen team four by four pool. World exactly, Cup. exactly. They, they, I, I they would have qualified just, on that basis. It, in a way, it's a shame because Ireland have actually looked pretty good. Like you know, it like it's not like they've sort of just 
you know, scraped along and, and just done nothing. They've actually looked pretty good. I mean, led by, you know, vet, veteran halfback Liam Finn and, 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 you know, who's, again, probably someone that no one knows because very few people pay attention to the Super League. But, you know, it's a bit of a shame that a team that can play so well and, you know, feasibly finish with more points than, than two oh, other teams in the top eight that don't make it. So it's it's... It's a bit frustrating as, as a rugby league fan. Yeah, as a rugby fan, for absolutely. I want easily the, the the biggest flag waivers for making sure that rugby league can find two more teams for the next World Cup to really round out the um the pools properly. Because see, like I said, seeing them get knocked out after playing two really strong victories, and then you know they uh, had one loss to uh, Fiji. Was it who who they lose to? No, they lost to PNG. PNG, yeah, there PNG. that's right. Yeah, that, the, yeah. that that crazy defensive slugfest up in Port Moresby. That's right. Yeah. What am I saying? It was one like error that, away from clinching the game. Yeah, that that is a bit dispiriting. You know, when you think about it as a neutral rugby league fan, to see those guys not get rewarded for such a fantastic rugby league uh, World Cup campaign. Um, like, I don't know what, what what do you say to them? Like, sorry guys, I'm unlucky because well, this is where rugby league can learn from rugby union in the domestic competition Super Rugby 15. They have the top team from each pool or division, and after that, it's based off points. So by that yeah, account, the the, the, the classic wild card setup where yeah, the, yeah exactly. the, that's the right. top that's of each division. Really can learn from yeah, you know. that yeah that that probably is a fairer way to reward success if you're going to have a non-standard uh, division of pools like that. I don't know. It, it, there's always pros and cons for that sort of thing. You always have people saying one thing or arguing the other, but it is really disappointing that Island go home on a plane now, and they're World Cup well, the, the early news is that for the next World Cup, they're going to be changing it back to 4-4-4-4, four, 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 and, four, and the top two go through. So yeah. um, I don't think it'll happen again. Um, but Ireland, they were fantastic on the day. Wales, what can you say? They tried really hard in the first half, and then they just got blew, blown off the park. The yeah, Wales, unfortunately, were very much also rans this World Cup. They were just making up numbers, which you know it always sucks, and it's not nice to say. But they they couldn't quite go with anyone in any of their free games. Um, but yeah, hopefully I'm not sure what the the age division is of Ireland's core players. But if they can all sort of stick around and you know pick up and a couple more promising youngsters from Ireland and the uh, English Premier League, English Super League, not the soccer. Um, well, funny you say that, Forty, because the Ireland I think were one of the last teams to actually name their their World Cup squad because they were waiting on England to see who they would pick, and England took England took forever to to name their team because Ireland, oh, yeah, yeah. Ireland, Ireland actually has that, a good a good pick of players to choose from. <laughs> England, somehow, England taking all of Ireland, Scotland, and Wales best players. Never heard of yeah, it before. That, that, yes, that yes. So I mean, that I think the only the only player that you could say probably won't be there is Liam Finn, their halfback, because I mean he's like. I think he's like 35 or something now, or whatever it is. So, unless he's, you know, the he, old legacy. Got Tom Tom Brady he, he, he goes, yeah, Tom Brady, full Benjamin the, the Tom Brady route, yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, um, but, no, I was going to say one more thing with an interesting point. The Liam Finn, funnily enough, actually came out, and the Welsh coach, John Keane, made mention of it as well, is I think the key for, for both of them to keep developing is they just need, they need to play more games as well. So they need to, you know, does, I, I guess in a way it doesn't matter who it's, who it's against, but get these Irish and Welsh sides together and just have them playing more tests and more games and, 
in prep because I think I think Liam Finn was saying in, in the four years preceding this tournament they've played like two tests and that's it. So that's that's hardly any decent preparation to actually get yourself in in order and in check for such a massive tournament. So hopefully that happens as well. All right, we'll move right on to the last game of the pool stages. Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys! France 6, England 36. Any stats to go with this one, Ricky? No, there was no eels, so... <laughs> Anybody else have any thoughts on this game? England too good, Danny Bro... Uh, what am I saying? The winger, he decided not to take any uh, chunks out of other players this time. Uh, uh, his, yeah. No, Jermaine McGivory, or you know, however you say his name, he's a he's a good winger, man. I, he's the sort of winger I, I would love to see him in the NRL. I mean, he's he's got pace, he's got strength, he's he's been a really good player for Huddersfield in what has been some inconsistent years. For that. I, I know people say, oh, it's a Super League, and you know, it's not the same level, but he's a really really good winger, and I wouldn't. I mean, he's still got three years left at Huddersfield, but. He wouldn't look out of place in many NRL sides, that's for sure. I think um, another club's actually chasing him. Yeah, apparently it's Warrington, the yeah. fellow fellow Super League club are keen on him. But yeah, he's got that three years left, so you'd imagine that's that's probably going to be hard to prime away when. You, oh, well, mind you, contracts mean nothing nowadays, but it, it'd probably be too probably be hard to prime away regardless. So. And Gareth Widdops uh, move into fullback. That seemed to pay dividends. He he looked a lot more comfortable there, and their their attack was a lot more fluid. Yeah, I think Widdops a good half, but he plays within a certain structure at St George, and at times their forward back was dominant in the NRL this uh, season past, which is why he probably excelled a bit more time and space, which is what you get when you're at fullback. You're playing wider and deeper, and you have that you know opportunity to play what you see in front of you rather than having those guys shooting up at you as much when you're playing a bit closer to the ruck. Um, I only saw bits and pieces of this game because I was busy during that part, so I'm not probably the, the most informed for this one. But, you know, it was a scoreline that we expected. Um, France just didn't quite have the uh, talent. They went close to Lebanon, but that was about it. Yeah, the only final parting thought was Scrum Fest. Uh, I've never seen so many repacked scrums in a game of rugby league. They were spending about three or four minutes on each one. <laughs> there was, there was going back to a game, there was one early on in the Lebanon-Australia game where they actually called Aaron Woods out because <laughs> it was that bad. Uh, I think he got a bit of a verbal from Tim Manor there too. It was um, entertaining. It's always frustrating seeing NRL scrums getting, or NRL rugby league scrums getting repacked because it's, you know, so bloody simple. It's just like, get your... Uh, six players in, you know, you rarely ever compete for the ball, and there's no actual like tight grips and technique that goes into how you pack the scrum, unlike its elder sibling code and reunion. But you know, it's just a lot of jockeying and and um, nonsense that goes on in regular scrums, isn't there? It's just the refs, refs looking out for sus to pick at, you know, being yeah. confused with this. assert their dominance as the um, the game exactly. slows down. Oh, but, yeah, some, play- some players are just done with the scrums, though. I mean, it's as you said, Paul, yeah, it's, it, it's not rocket. It really isn't rocket science. Like you just literally, you just you just get in. You put your arms around, tuck your head in, just let the half Actually, play the ball, and that's this, it. Like this, this is a, this is a, a thing for me to bring up in another podcast. But um, I, I think there's a serious competitive advantage to be had if if um teams actually scrimmaged properly 
and you know almost brought in like a, a rugby union forwards coach to teach him the correct binds and um the other ways to gain leverage in the scrum because if you're competing for every scrum feed like Parramatta does every now and then we're one of the few NRL clubs that actually look to win against the feed um you know it's, it's, Tim Manor hooked a ball that's, out that's right, um, Craig, in one of our matches this Craig, year <laughs> we, we talk about completion rates and you know sort of that 80% benchmark that teams want to get to but creating turnovers is every bit as important and the scrum is one of those areas where not many teams think to create that turnover well, I, I can't remember who was it against St George. I, I think it might have been, and and they just sort of looked at it and said, "What? He can't do that." And um, yes. of course, we had the ball. <laughs> now it, it does vary from ref to ref. Some some of them it does, but you might as well try and you know look for the turnover. The, the worst you can do it's like it's not even the the old adage of it's better to seek forgiveness than ask permission. You you literally can do it, and you won't get penalised. The worst they're going to do is call for a repack of the scrum. So, like I said, it's probably something we could talk about at length at another podcast, but it amazes me that teams don't actually competitively scrimmage with technique and leverage every time. And you have like, you have like, um, uh, you have the, some of the back, the back rows in the, not in the scrum, but they're defending. So you've got, you've got centers in there. You've got like, back exactly. That, that's right, buddy. There's an opportunity to create a mismatch because teams are so sort of blase with how they pack their, their, their players in the scrum, except for obviously an offensive scrum, you have the hooker at lock because he's the best guy at passing off the ground and the fullback at lock defensively so he can break with the farm, the full defensive line and then push back for any early kicks. Like they're the only hard and fast rules you see these days. Otherwise they sort of pack who's there hodgepodge willy nilly, which means if you've got a set scrum, you can just hammer those guys. But rant time. There you go. All right, let's move into the final standings. Australia, three wins, stand at the top of Group A with a positive 94 differential. Uh, they're currently looking unstoppable, but stranger things have happened, so we'll see how they go in the final series. England finished in second spot with four points and two wins. Lebanon in third with one win. In Group B, Tonga take out the three matches and end up the group of top... Uh, of Sorry, top of Group B on six points with a positive 66 differential. New Zealand in second spot, two wins, positive 92 differential. Samoa by the skin of their teeth with a draw and winning on the uh, differential with negative 44, whereas Scotland ended up with a negative 114 differential. Group Z, C, PNG took it out three wins, positive 116 differential on six points. And Group D, Fiji, three wins, 140 positive differential, six points. So we'll get into the previews in just a little bit, but first we'll go for the news. So first, having a look at the judiciary, um, Aaron Woods got off on the charge. Um, I thought he clearly put Tim Manor in a precarious position and it was very much a spear tackle. However, the judiciary didn't see it the same. Well, the judiciary... Oh, sorry, it was the match review committee. Sorry, match review committee has been pretty lenient to date when it comes to um, offences, hasn't it? Um, I don't know, maybe they don't want people getting suspended for or from the tier one teams. I don't know, like, we saw a guy clearly bite and get off. And we saw, you know, a queer dangerous, uh, dangerous throw or whatever it's graded as get let off in this game. I don't know. <laughs> it's, well, um, I think I, I read something that, that Aaron Woods was saying that Tim Manor actually came to his defense at, at the match review, match review committee. I'm, sh- so I'm sure Tim would have. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you, you see that. You see that a lot, don't you? Especially with the good-natured guys like Tim Manor. But you know, an offense is an offense. If you if you do a dangerous throw, oh know, no doubt. I mean, you know, he clearly but put at least up. the um, but, the match review committee and the judiciary being consistent, <laughs> not charging well, for people. once. Yeah, no, but, I mean, but but rules are rules. I mean, I guess if you if you get them past the horizontal, whether they land on their head, yeah, or not, and the the you know, and it, the reason it's there is because of player safety, obviously. And it's fine to say, oh, he didn't get hurt. So let him off, but then you see stuff that will lead to eventually, as we saw with the Melbourne Storm and the Newcastle Knights, with Alex McKinnon. You know, it only takes that one tackle to go past the horizontal and then put the player in a precarious position to then have dire, you know, consequences. So I, I would prefer if they adhered more strictly to those guidelines and those rules, because you know, the every time you let it go, it sort of lets things go a little bit further the next time because they can refer to it on precedent or as you know a reference. And then until there's something catastrophic happens to a player. So it's disappointing seeing a, a blatant biting charge and a dangerous throw get off unscathed. But it's not surprising given that we saw the biting get off first. All right. Now, Moylan Maloney swap seems to be set in stone. Um, what did you guys take of this? And will this open up any spots for the Eels to pounce in the player market? Um, well, I, 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 I think... think it's, oh, you go, and I was going to say, I, I think the main the main part for us to watch out for is probably more the Roosters than anything else, but that's just a totally separate thing, like, you know, whether they've got a unload piece or Napa or Friend or whoever the hell it's going to be, or knowing the Roosters, they'll probably keep all of them. Um, but it's probably not too much to come out of the Maloney Moreland thing from, from an Eels perspective. I mean, it's I can't think of too many players that they probably have to, to well, let I go... Think... I think on paper, Penrith came out ahead in this swap. I know Maloney's a bit of a penalty and error machine, but he tends to, on paper, once again, mesh nicely with Ivan, uh, Ivan Query, Nathan Query, who's that, you know, controlling and, um, steady half, lets Maloney sort of call the shots when he needs. Moylan's obviously talented, but there's a bit of, um, debate as to what his best position is, whether he's a fullback well, or a half. Penrith fans seem to think he's not a fullback. Cronulla fans that I've seen. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, one interesting no. thing to come out of this was, I mean, it's it's mole alert, so take it as you will. But I think he ran off an article today saying that um, uh, Valentine Holmes isn't too impressed with the recruitment of Moylan and Dugan as far as competition for his fullback spot, and would potentially um, look to opt out of his contract. Well, not opt out. You can't opt out. Look to get out of his contract should um, he lose his fullback spot. So that's sort of well, like the the ripple ripple effect of that trade. But I don't know. I think Hope should look a bit more closely at Dugan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's Um, funny because Shane Flanagan has already come out and said that Matt Moore will play 5-8. But there's also talk about the Sharks being interested potentially in Mitchell Pearce. So that would would complicate. I mean, it's a bit of um, juggling of the salary cap, I suppose, given that the Sharks seem to be pretty top-heavy after winning the Premiership in 2016 and re-signing their core players. But um, if they do manage to wrangle that deal, you'd have to think that um, Valentine's spot in the um, at the number one would be under jeopardy, which could lead to some interesting uh, moments there. All right. Well, let's not get stuck in with other teams' uh, recruitment. Yeah, it doesn't have too much 40. impact on the Eels. Um, now, the, the the ratings for the Rugby League World Cup on the 11th of November, which I think was the Saturday, 2.2 million Australians tuned in to watch. Um, so 
that's just another feather in the cap for the Rugby League World Cup. It seems like people want to watch it. Um, the games have been interesting, even though there's been some blowouts, but um, people are tuning in to have a look. Was that a Facebook live stream they had? They had a Facebook live stream which garnered almost 400,000 viewers. Because I'm going to be honest, I had no idea it was on. Was it badly advertised or am I just living in the in a cave? Bad, badly advertised. I had no idea it was on. I mean, I, mean that, I, I, was watch, I was watching on the TV anyway, but no, it was was badly advertised. Like I, that's a real I shame no because those, those sort of um, streaming platforms are definitely part of the future of um, sporting broadcasts. The NFL's um, already used Twitter and uh, I think Amazon's video service to do... Uh, Amazon uh, Prime. Yeah, Amazon Prime to live stream several games a season um, on, on landmark deals. Um, it's a real shame. That, I mean, 400,000 is a good number considering how poorly advertised it was. Um, that's a, a great sort of impression number. To be perfectly honest, it's interesting though because their Facebook, they, they live stream it on Facebook, yet you can watch it live on this on. I mean, all, all the games you can watch them live on sevenmate.com.au if you don't, if you don't have access to a TV. So hmm. it's interesting that they have two separate live stream platforms to watch on. So do we do we get international numbers at any point, or um, at least New Zealand or whatnot? I'm not sure. Or is, sorry. It, or is it purely domestic? Yeah, I, I think it was purely domestic because I, I, I haven't seen too much in terms um, of Because um, 2.2 is a fantastic number because that puts it up the top of um, TV charts, doesn't it? Well, like the not, not not the very yeah, top because yeah. that's reserved for Origin and Grand Finals and whatnot. Oh, it'd come but close. That, I that, mean, in, in terms of, hey, it's probably, I don't know, maybe scraping the top 10 or so. So, sorry, the, the Channel 7's region locked to Australia. So possibly the the people tuning in on Facebook might have been from New Zealand, considering they yeah, couldn't have got yeah. the seven mate. And I don't know okay. what sort of regional TV deal they had, whether they had Makes any um, uh, internet feed. So for for sorry for reference, sorry you had um three point six five two watching one of the State of Origin games, uh three point six five two million that is this year. I'm not sure which Origin it was, but it was the Game three was the most watched show of 2017. So that, for reference, State of Origin pulled 3.652 consistent viewers, peaking at 4.1. So that, that's pretty solid numbers for the Rugby World Cup, to be honest. It is. Uh, now, moving on, they're announcing a Lebanon PNG test match to be played in the Pacific Test Match Series next year. Hey. Um, so that's going to be pay, played in Sydney. Um, and I'm sure a large Lebanon contingent will be out. And I'm sure a lot of uh, the Kumul fans will also be out for Good. It, it's, it's about time they actually start being proactive. Clearly, clearly, um, the ROIF and the NRO are listeners to the State of League podcast. Yeah, and jumping all our ideas to fill in that gap, right? I think the only um, other team that Lebanon usually play, uh, Malta, and that's like a no contest pretty much. So this yeah. will be very good for them, you know. It's a hard test. You know, some of the PNGs, they hit hard. So um, this will be a good test for them, you know. Yeah. No, nothing but good things to come out of this, I think. It's exactly the sort of thing we've been campaigning for, and I use we as not just the podcast, but you know, rugby league fans in general, getting that um that rep bye week sort of filled with um these you know tier two tier one um, showdowns. It really good, love it. And one last bit of news. Uh, sorry, two last bits. One. Uh, sorry, um, two last bits of news. One is Clint Gutherson. 
He is a Cedars supporter. <laughs> and he's not well, afraid that he's not afraid to flaunt it, is he? No. <laughs> <laughs> was he in, was he inspired by his um his halfback? It's that picture we saw from the post game victory over France where um uh, Moses was in nothing but his um budgie smugglers. Um, yeah, Guffo. the picture of male perfection. Yeah, <laughs> Guffo getting in on that um, same hot action. <laughs> um, it was originally shared by Kayser, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Just um, so, I mean, I, I want to say it's completely good natured fun. I'm sure someone's going to complain about it. Some of the the British people we've got out there, but you know, <laughs> Guffo showing support for one of his um two of his teammates. What am I saying? One, two, and technically Layoon's there too. So three of his teammates um. You know, underdog status team. Um, nah, good fun. Love it. Long live the king. <laughs> All right. And one last thing is apparently the Titans are chasing Luke Burt. Get away from him. Oh, God. Yeah, not, not a fan of that news. I, I mean, this comes back to the whole storyline the media's running with it. They're trying to placate Jared Hayne by any means necessary because they've brought in Hayden Knowles and... Uh, Who's the other ex-para staffer? Craig Catterick. Yeah, yeah, Catterick. That's right. Uh, Craig Catterick, sorry. Um, they brought in Hayden Knowles and Craig Catterick, who pretty much grew up with Jared at Parramatta, as far as um, player staff relationships concerned. Um, and Luke Burt has a connection to Jared, obviously, as a player. Um, I didn't yeah. know that they were the best of teammates. I thought they were sort of on separate well, sides of that locker that, room divide. It, that's right, that whole um, young versus old divide that was in the Parramatta locker room going back a few years. I don't know. Um, I honestly have no idea what the, the background is beyond, obviously, Heine and Jared not getting along too well. Um, but um, this, this could have um, implications because if um, a couple of the juniors, the 20s, like want to follow him, you know... Yeah, we, I think we're, we've been pretty aggressive in locking up the best of our 20s, 18s and 16s, but that's not to say that we couldn't lose some if Bert went elsewhere. Um I wouldn't blame Bert if he left in the sense that that's a big upgrade from 20s coach to NRL assistant. Uh, but I would I would be disappointed because Bert's done a very good job with the 20s at Parramatta. He's taken mediocre teams, gotten to... Well, mediocre. He's taken sort of mid-range teams, got them to the finals. He's taken young but talented teams and put them in the grand final where, you know, we had an opportunity to win, but uh, between sort of youth... Back, like, uh, backfiring, the youth commander team backfiring in the inability to control the game and then some bad luck with the refs, you know, you lose in the final. Um, I, I hope there's nothing to the rumor or that if there is something to the rumor, Bert chooses to stay at Parramatta because there is a vacancy for our assistant coaches at stands. And I don't I was know. about if, to mention that 40. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if he, he moves in there this year, but I think definitely in the, the midterm to long term, he's got a, a natural attacking brain, um, for the NRL. He's very good at communicating with his charges, um, probably more as a, a player's coach than a you know a hard nosed coach. But that can come. Um, and yeah, I think there's definitely a spot for him in Parramatta long term as a coach under Brad Arthur. This is uh, very similar to when uh, Holbrook was coaching us and we done sort of Roosters. And now he's in uh, Super League coaching St Helens. So yeah, Holbrook, Holbrook's a little bit different because we brought him in externally from St George. I want to say, um, or was it the Tigers? I can't. Re- can't recall. No, I think it's St. George. St. George, yeah. And he was kind of like a one-year rental, which was the 2014 team that went to the uh, grand final qualifier. And then it turned out that he was, a, well, at least for us, he developed the players really well for the 20s, 
but there wasn't much long-term development done there. And we saw that what looked on paper to be a really talented 2014 NYC class sort of fizzle out. I think we got Tepai out of that class. And, um, you know, the rest of them, Fabian Goodall, Halafi Lavaka, uh, Johnny Falau, uh, Paulie Paulie, Ryan Madison, Ryan Madison, who, to be fair, did go on to become an NRL player at the Roosters, which um, needed to be facilitated by a transition from half to back row. Which, um, well, I think we were sort of trying to transition him to that, yeah, but he saw himself as a five. That, that's right, and that that often is the case of those sort of young players, isn't it? That they don't work at the first club because they need, I don't know if it's phrased right way, they need to kick up the arse like that. They need to realise that you either need to make that positional adjustment or you need an attitude adjustment, you know, quote uh, to Q John Cena there. Um, and, yeah, you, you don't do it until you sort of realise... By getting kicked out of the club, and he, he's been very good at the Roosters, obviously, but only him and Tepai, you know, became NRL fixtures from there. But um, yeah, getting back to Birdie, hope he sticks around. Um, big, big fan of what he's done for us in the twenties, and hopefully he can do the same in the new state-based twenties. All right, well, let's move on. We say goodbye to France, goodbye Scotland, goodbye Ireland. Goodbye, Wales. Goodbye, Italy. And goodbye, USA. And we'll move on to the previews. So, the first matches up are the women are playing on Thursday night. Tune in. Um, sorry, I've just lost my tip sheet. <laughs> Hello? You there, Hamish? Sorry. Here we are. So, the first night we've got New Zealand playing Canada. The ladies at 1.30pm on Thursday. That'll be followed up by Australia um, playing uh, the Cook Islands at 4pm. And then to round out the triple header, we will have England playing PNG. Now, all three of those matches will be on at Cronulla, and all three will be on 7-mate. Um, bit of a humble brag, I stayed in the city at the new uh, Sofitel, and that's where the Australian Women's League team were, were staying at on the week. So... Um, they were um, all over the place. Is that humble bag, humble brag, or just trivia at that point? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> staying at the Sofitel, it's quite an expensive uh, uh, oh, I uh, see, motel I see. to stay at, so it's a bit of a humble well, brag. So, Ham- Hamish is so clearly does sponsoring. Have two teams? So does Australia have two teams? Because it says they've got Canada at one forty and then a four pm game against Cook Islands. No, no sorry, one thirty pm is New Zealand and Canada. Oh, that's the misprint on the Daily Telegraph. <laughs> yeah, <Typical. laughs> they've, they've, they've had a look at the flag and haven't realised that they've got red stars. <laughs> I thought we had that many women working field a two, you know, a B-side. Don't judge, Hamish, um, they could be colourblind. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, the Australian women's team, they are right up the top of the world standings, I'm surprised. Um, that the New Zealand women's team used to be right up the top there, but it seems like the Australian women have come on in leaps and bounds, and I... I'm not sure if they're playing a round-robin tournament, um, but you'd expect the Australian women to be there in the final at the end. Um, on with that, I haven't watched much of um, women's international rugby league, um, so I couldn't really comment too yeah, much the, on the, the, the some biggest of the other window nations. we've, You know, the biggest window we tend to get into it is the Australian-New Zealand fixtures at the Auckland Knights, because that's the one that's televised uh, on the Fox broadcast alongside the um, the 
main NRL teams turning up there. And it's always good good to watch that game. It's pretty pretty fiery and physical. Um, I tend to agree that Australia should be the runaway favourites, but runaway favouritism in these sort of tournaments can often backfire. Um, New Zealand have proven in the past they can really tackle Australia. I'm not really sure what England are like as a women's outfit, but um, it should be some good football to watch at least. All right, if nobody's got any more takes, we'll move on to the final series. On Friday night, we have Australia taking on Samoa. What is your tip? Oh, Australia. Some sort of moral, surely, right? They rested their place for this game. <laughs> no, it's got to be... A, I mean, it may not be a blowout, but I think just in terms of the quality of the Australian side compared to the Samoan side, you'd say Australia favourites... There's actually a really good stat that could come in this game, but looks like he's been named in on the extended bench, Cameron Munster. He'd be, if he managed to score two tries again, he'd be only the second Australian player to score three to score a double in their fir- in their first three games in a, in their first three rugby league World Cup games. Steve Menzies is the only one to do it. Beaver. He played, he, he funnily enough, he played three games of. Played three games at the World Cup. He scored a double in all three. So Ken Munster, if he plays and does it, he'll be just the second Australian player to do it. To score that's pretty rarefied rare so company, that, the Beaver. Yes. Uh-huh. I mean, he's, at present, he's got four four blokes. Three or four players that have scored two two tries in their first two games. It's like the Lionel Williamson... Um, and all, all those other blokes that no one's ever heard of, <laughs> but it doesn't look like he's going to play, so he can't he can't break that record, or not just break that record, he can't equal that record, which which would be a shame. Uh, I think Australia are going to romp away to a pretty solid victory, but um, I reckon that Tonga, New Zealand, and England were looking at Australia's game against Lebanon, and I know Australia weren't full strength, uh, but the Leb- the Lebanese were right in that game for you know the first forty minutes and a bit. They um, they physically took it to the Australians, and I reckon there were a few teams saying, if Australia plays that level again, which is doubtful, but we can take them, we can ambush them. And this would be an interesting game to watch because of that. Are Australia going to sort of rest in the laurels again, or are they going to start clicking into, you know, beyond third gear and really, you know, start throwing around their weight as a, the world's best team? So that's probably the, the most interesting thing for me to watch in this game is... um. Not, How hard do Australia put the foot to the throat? I know. On, on, when you look at the box score, it looks like Australia's been completely dominant. But I think there's been a few chinks in the armour, not being exposed, but, uh, uh, but you know, the it, teams have played up to them, you know, and they've probably played down a little bit too to the level of their opposition. And if they do that coming into the sudden death component against some of these teams now, um, they could get ambushed. I actually think the main problem from an Australian perspective is, I mean, they're good players in their own right, but the forward pack, you could argue that they're a bit weak in the sense that they don't, when they get, if and when they get dominated, they struggle to actually get the ascendancy back. So a team like, probably a team like Tonga, for example, with Fafida, Tamalolo, and even England, who, you know, that James Graham, Chris Hill, uh, Sean O'Loughlin, like these big bodies in the middle, you know, sort of, if if and when they come up against Australia, they they probably have the best chance of, of breaking them down because, mm-hmm. you know, if you stop that Australian that Australian middle, then you, you're probably going to win the game. And 
teams like Tonga and, and England and even New Zealand to a lesser extent have sort of shown that if they get a if they get a chance to score, they're probably going to make the most of it. So I'd say yeah, Samoa so is that, probably yeah. not. Well, I was going to say Samoa's probably they can probably do it to some extent, but probably not enough to to get the win. So. But yeah, Australia are definitely morals in this game. They should win comfortably. But like I said, uh, seeing how aggressively they look to pursue that victory and how they play their football will be the most telling thing for me. Are they ready to you know, play sudden death football in the World Cup? All right, and we'll have two Eels taking part. Frank Pritchard starts in the second row and Sui Matangi will come off the bench. So hopefully those two blokes can have a good game, but mm-hmm. we're all expecting a big Australian win. On to the second match, which is Saturday's match at 3pm, played in Christchurch. So there's a double over a in New Zealand, red, isn't it? which will be Tonga and Lebanon. Um, I can't see Lebanon getting a very welcome reception, <laughs> uh, but there will be a fair few eels in this match. Manu Ma'u is named. Uh, Michael Jennings is named in the team list, but we'll see if he does play with that uh, troublesome hamstring. And we'll also have... Um, I can't see him on the bench, actually. Our our main man. Terrapo oh, doesn't Penny. seem to be named. Has he picked up an injury? Because he was picked, yeah. I think he did, actually. I think he did. He's not yeah. even named in the 21. Yeah, the extended so. team, which seems, seems I, unlucky. He must have picked up an injury. I think I think he picked up something. I, I can't remember what it was. I, 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 I do recall him going off the field. All right, and on to the um, Lebanese team. Alec, uh, sorry, Tim Manor. Uh, we'll be playing Mitch Moses again, and Anthony Leon goes at fullback. So take us away. One player I forgot to mention from our um, uh, last uh, pool game review that surprised me for Tonga is um, Big Ben Murdoch Masilla. He um, had a really nice game down the right edge, and he um, was it. Uh, which half was it that he completely left clutching at the air, embarrassingly? Uh, who was the left edge half for New Zealand? Uh, Probably Cody Nicarima. Cody Nicarima. Yeah, he he. It looked like Michael Jennings playing. He put the big sort of right footer on, and, and um, Cody Nicarima just folded, and uh, Murdoch Masilla ran away for a 30, 40 minute try. Um, you know, he sort of usually looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, but with the um, the passion this Tonga team's got, he's playing pretty hard. It's a bit um, of a grub, though. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's the, the grubby, the grubby, wrong, but... the grubby fact is one of those things. You love it when they're on your team, and you hate it when they're against you. Exactly that. So, exactly. Um, yeah, this this is going to you'd expect this to be a blowout. Um, the the Tonga has been electric in their back line and their forward pack, and Hingano especially. Lowell here still got a couple of um of uh, head scratches in him a game, but I think Hingano has been managing that team really nicely, not overplaying his hand for a young half, and um you know feeding these outside men. When you've got a, not a, a nearly as a, and a sorry, yeah. not nearly as head scratching as that pass that Russell Packer threw. Oh, yeah, that's um, <laughs> that's that's going to be the tape for Packer that every coach that he has is going to say, mate, you're not passing the ball again. Yeah, that, it was I don't almost know it, as good as um uh, the one that uh, the Broncos flew through. Sorry, oh, uh, the the in the final a couple of years ago, the first week of finals, Roosters versus um. Brisbane, no, not the no? Sean Kenny Dow one. That that, no. one, that one was special as well. Um, but the Adam Blair attempted offload against us late earlier this year. Oh, yes. The quickest try yeah. in uh, quickest NRL, in NRL history. history. Yeah. Yeah, every now and then you see one of those ones. It's like, what what was he thinking? And yeah. probably not much, you know, when you're, really, <laughs> when, you're, when you're really tired, you know, and that was later in the game. And, 
you're a forward and it's not usually your go-to throw a big cutout. You, you do something silly like that. Um, just the, the yeah, the the Tongans are going to be too good here, barring some sort of miracle. But uh, hopefully the Lebanon can you know continue to put together those solid performances that they've seen through the first three games and make the game competitive through the first half at the very least. Um, it'll it'll depend on you know errors from Tonga and if Lebanon can get to their kick and you know make it a contest. But uh, I think the Tonga are going to probably go thirty plus here. Nobody's any other hot takes. We'll move on to the next final match, which will also be played in New Zealand, but this time at uh, Wellington, which will be New Zealand, no, the New Zealand and Fiji at five thirty p.m. Now this should be an absolutely cracking match. Yeah, from a New Zealand perspective, they they, they made. They made some very interesting changes. I mean, I noticed Nikarima got the drop, so Tamari Martin yeah. is going to start at five eight. Lulawai is gone altogether as well, so Danny Levi is starting at hooker. It's interesting. I mean, this the, I mean, the fact it, that it, they haven't found their settled halves pairing is pretty telling for me. Um, you know, Nikarima was given a shot uh, after he was given a shot after um, Tamari Martin played a really strong game against Scotland which I know were, at, for that game, somewhat of a fodder team before they had their, their big upset draw from uh, Samoa. But, um, yeah, the fact they haven't settled a spine and they went against Tonga, which was their big pull match, like not do or die, but getting the top seeding would have been nice. And they've, they've then changed their spine from there. Um, they're, they're a little bit unsettled there. And mm. I know maybe, once again, they're going to be favourites against Fiji, but that might be the tipping point if Fiji are going to have an upset. You know, if they can I sort of... It- I they think pick the on... key for New Zealand... Oh, sorry, 40. The That's key right. for New Zealand is going to be... It's probably going to be their forward pack. You could argue that they've got a... I guess a more experienced and sort of veteran forward pack than than the, the Fijian side do. So if they're going to win anywhere, that's going to set the tone for them. And they'll, they'll be hoping that Johnson and Tamari Martin can feed off that. But that being said, Fiji have shown themselves more than capable of, you know... Um, well, I guess not dominating, but be, being able to yeah, kind of go I mean, toe to toe. Maybe it'll count against Fiji, but they had so. sort of three of the softer games you're going to have coming into the sudden death component of the, the tournament. But you could argue that it also means that they're you know, well prepared as far as getting executing their you know, set pieces and whatnot. Um, well, the battle yeah, of the I, back I, lines is what I'm looking at. Yeah, right? that, that's... R- RTS, Wateni Zalesniak, Dean Farre, Brad Takarangi, Jordan Rapana up against Kevin Naguama, Bunavalu, Milne, Uate and Montoya. These have been two standout back lines, and um, this should be an absolutely cracking um, battle of the outside backs. Bunavalu yeah. versus Rapana is the matchup, to be honest. I reckon oh, six tries between them. Bunivalu, if, if anything, that's, you know? that's right edge versus right edge, though, isn't it? It's not going to be a direct matchup. Yeah. I thought... Um, Uate has yeah, been playing right on the left. Right, so. oh. Yeah. Wait. Oh, don't Wait. worry, Bunivalu will have a field day against... Against the Tanya Zalesniak. Oh yeah. I thought um, Roger Tuivasa Sheks had a really good World Cup. Yeah, I thought he'd been he, really he good for like the Warriors this best. season. Yeah, um, he'd been great for the Warriors this season, but of course, you know, the Warriors were as disappointing as ever. And there's not much you can do from fullback when your team um, isn't playing well, as we know so well. <laughs> I, I think um, my take from RTS and the Warriors was that he was almost slipping into a workhorse role. You know, he was getting um, real north south. 
not using his explosive footwork as much. Like you see glimpses of his best footwork wise, but he's just getting through a sheer workload rather than having more effective touches. So you, I wouldn't, I wasn't faulting his effort, but his impact was probably toned down for what it could be or what you'd expect in this World Cup, probably because he's surrounded by, you know, better teammates and probably a better culture um, than the Warriors itself. He, um, he's really gotten back to his best. That explosive, uh, right to left footwork, left to right as well is there and he's um backing himself to make big plays without being selfish. Um and yeah, he's he's that real X factor now. As soon as there's a, a little bit of space, you know, someone from the inside slacking, um, pushing across, he he's seizing on it and just exploding through the gap. Yeah, well it's definitely a complimentary piece to this New Zealand team as opposed to being it, it's, yeah, it's being that the, the sole between... the sole focus. That's right. Yeah, taking the yeah. shouldering shouldering all the responsibilities of trying to carry a team, and then being the complimentary guy or the the option guy. And some guys thrive on the first part; they love being the focal point. And some guys are at their best when they can be the option. Uh, conversely, I think this will be a big. Oh, just just quickly, I think this will be a big game for Sean Johnson. Uh, I think he's been a little bit quiet. He, he still looks tentative going to the line. I don't know if it's that uh, that sort of bung knee he's got after coming back from a mid-season injury for the Warriors, but I, I think he's sort of half-heartedly going to the line. I, I want to see him really uh, press the ball to the line and make that run-first option his primary play, keep the, the defense in two minds and mean uh, keep him from cheating to the outside. All right, now on to the last game of the first finals week, Sunday, 4 p.m. England are taking on PNG in Melbourne. Now, this will be another cracking match. Just quickly, what what's the story behind the Amy Park naming rights and the Melbourne Rectangular Stadium naming rights? I am not sure. <laughs> because, yeah, this is the, they've made a very deliberate point of referring it to Melbourne Rectangular Stadium for the I think the it's for broadcast. international draws. It's like... Um, ANZ stadiums referred to as so, Sydney Olympic Park when it's an international fixture. Yeah. So there, there must be like a domestic rights thing or something like that in that case. Yeah, I, I assume that's that's how it works. <laughs> it's just it's just a really really charm tacky name for a stadium, Melbourne Rectangular Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where did we play last week at Perth Rectangular Stadium? Not to be confused with uh, you know the Perth Cricket Ground, <laughs> the Wacker. Um. Yeah, as I was saying earlier, I think if you put this game up in Port Moresby, you've got a really interesting contest. Um, the the parochial home crowd would have really given the Kumuls an advantage. Uh, in Melbourne, in English conditions, as it were, I think that the um, the Brits should be too good. But uh, I hope that the Papua New Guineans make a uh, good account of themselves. Um, keep bringing that energy and enthusiasm and try and disrupt the English through the middle and uh, early on in their sets. Anyone reckons this could be a grind out, grinding type of game, pretty much, not like a free flowing, you know, stop, start, stop, start. Yeah, I, I can see that happening for sure, Bertie. Um, if the the Kumuls bring that intensity through the middle, get a little bit disruptive in defence, um, you know, rattle, rattle England a bit, um, you can definitely get into that sort of that grind where you're just trying to get to your kick and you know, not not make it a mistake. You sort of start getting in your own head a little bit, and which obviously play in Papua New Guinea strength as the underdogs. But um, I think that would be their their biggest hope of springing an upset is getting inside England's head early with physicality and um, intensity. Okay, hot. And the first time they've left uh, PNG as well, so yeah, that could be a big that, that's a big know. big part of this. Yeah, hot take alert. I am sitting on PNG. Ooh, 
tipping them for the win. And there's like no Tommy ref. I like PG it. PG will have a chance. <laughs> That's been the story of the World you Cup, know. hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Do they have the officials here? No, they haven't listed the, the officials on NRL.com. Not as yet. They usually come out on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. All um, right. Well, I think that wraps up the, the preview, unless anybody else has got something else to add. Ricky? Betty? Uh, no, just... Oh, Hyneton's been left out of the um, the English team, interestingly. So they deemed that he wasn't in there, at least prior to game day, he wasn't in their top 17. Um, yeah, I, I don't think he's um, been any sort of revelation um, coming off the bench. Um, not like Alex Wormsley, um, there's a lot of hype around him, but he had quite a good match last week. Do you think that's um, warranted, given that there's a number of NRL clubs pursuing him quite aggressively? Uh, th- th- one game, how, how much can you take away from one game? And especially, yeah. you know, it was only against, I say only against, but it was against France, who didn't have, you know, a vaunted sort of uh, forward pack. So I I haven't seen any, any of his domestic play, so I couldn't yeah. take too much out of I, it. Having a, a quick browse online, I'm pretty, Dragons fans seem pretty confident that he's heading their way. So that'll be one to monitor, you know, in the NRL sense, um, if they do anything. It'd be good to see uh, Alex Wormsley, you know, get a test against a, a big pack. You know, I think we're still linked. To yeah, him, well, for so for, for, number, for know, Wormsley, yeah, this this is the money rounds for him. If he can start producing yeah. when we're in, you know, up against starting of PNG, and then I'm not sure who would potentially be the next team on that side of the draw. But as the pack start getting more physical, you know, more consistent, if he can have impact there, you know, 100 meters from the bench or whatever, uh, and look strong doing it, that's going to get him some serious dollars from an NRL club. All right. Um, just one more. Uh, uh, Ricky's headphones don't seem to be working, but he wanted to add in um, that Takarangi's sister will be playing for the Cook Islands on the weekend. Nice. Um, so that's a bit of interesting ah. Eels trivia. <laughs> Wonder if she'll have the cornrobes in like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, that wraps up the um, the previews for the finals rounds of the World Cup. Now, I just wanted to touch on one last thing before we go, uh, which is Eels recruitment. Now. Um, we were talking just before about complementary players. With the lineup that we have, we've got to remember we just finished top four. You don't need to go out and buy the best of the best players to make you a, the best team. You need to buy complementary players that are going to add on to what sort of play style you're playing. Um, I see a lot of Eels fans complaining about us not going out and getting, you know, the top being tier real, halves being real aggressive or the top in the, forwards. The but we we, ha- we have a template which we're working off. We've just signed, um, you know, a top-tier half in Mitch Moses, who, of course, needs a lot of work um, and is going to grow into that position. But um, Eels' recruitment is quite good. It's going to continue to be complimentary. We're, don't I, expect I think us to go out and sign the best of the best players. That That's a excellent point, Hamish, because very much as we saw this year, our team is a sum that is greater than the... Uh, as a whole, it's a sum greater than the individual parts, which is, you know, an old cliche, both sport and life. But we clearly have a plan for recruitment um, as far as the diversity in the forward pack. Kane Evans is a clear indication towards an acknowledgement that we want to get taller, get bigger, um, maybe a little bit more explosive in the forward pack. He's going to be a nice point of difference for our prop rotation. Um, and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised to see us gun for another prop. We've shown in the past that patience at this time of year can reap serious dividends. Um, that led to a sort of Michael Jennings falling in our lap when we um, we moved a couple of years ago in that great centre reshuffle. And um, as it happened to be, we were the big winners, you know, two years down the path. Dale Copley is no longer with the Roosters. Uh, Peter Hick is no longer with the Panthers. 
and Michael Jennings is playing as good as he's ever played in the NRL for us. So a little bit of patience from fans and obviously from our, our football department is probably going to be the winner for the day. Um, but yeah, I, I know I, people are frustrated because they're seeing other clubs, you know, make really splashy signings and they're sort of saying, why can't that be us? But Hamish mentioned, we've got a really well-balanced team as it stands. And yes, we have some holes, semis left, you know, sort of, is that TBC? Is he going to, you know, to be continued to come back to us next year? We're not sure. But, you know, don't, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. You know, we just finished top four. There's no need to change for the sake of change. I think fans look at our spine, you know, we've got French, we've got Moses, we've got Norman, and they probably want, like, a elite hooker, you know, because well, it depends on how we play next year, if we're going to have two hookers, you know, one on the bench or... Well, because if that's the way, you know, we need another one for a winnie, at least. That would, so. that, the, there's three holes I've seen and you can make a case for in our roster. Semi's gone, so you want a, a dynamic winner. Uh, where maybe one big prop short of a, you know, a consistently dominant forward pack. And finally, as you said, Bertie, we're probably an elite hooker, you know, uh, from having a great spine. But hooker, I think, is one of those positions we've got to be careful at as far as recruitment is concerned. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we made a splash at some point. Uh, maybe not for next year, but the year after, depending on how things play out. But we've got a succession of young hookers coming through now that are going to be putting pressure on the NRL team. And I don't think you want to be stuck committing long-term, paying good money for another for an external hooker when the likes of Reed Marnie, uh, you know, Kyle Schneider, and even below that, Jed Edwards, sort of you've got like a two-year gap between each of those players. And the, yeah. Marnie was, you know, our NYC player of the year, and he's showing, you know, real good potential, high motor, high work rate, uh, nice bit of savviness, always keeps his eyes up when he's playing from from the base of the ruck. He can kick a 40-20. Um, and the biggest thing for him now is getting up to speed physically. And I what about think, uh, Denzel Tanise? You know, you don't see him as a hooker Yeah, Tanise is one of those guys that I think if he can sort of get a foothold in the ISP and develop his game there, uh, he could um, potentially push for NRL honours down the road. He's an interesting player because he's sort of like a tweener. He's that uh, lock slash hooker, or even prop he was used as in the NYC this year. Um, he's, you know, big. yeah, real solid unit. Um, he might, he might be, um, you know, charged with changing his, um, physique a little bit, maybe shed a few more kilos to keep his, um, work rate higher as a hooker, you know, rather than being a sheer impact through your body at the wall of the defenders. But he's a, yeah. a player that could potentially down the road make a splash. But I think right now, Reed Money's the the play to sort of jot down in your just a quick book. two cents. I think um, if he has a strong preview, oh, just now just following on from some previous points, I there think it's he's got to use a bit of common sense when it comes to the signings. I mean, too too many people are the they try to jump the gun too quickly and sort of think that oh, because other teams are signing players, it means that you also have to sign players. So I think. If, if anything, Brad Arthur's shown that he's willing to wait for a smart, astute signing, kind of like Michael Jennings. You know, we kind of got him got him on a whim, oh, sort absolutely. of, you know, probably not expecting it type thing. And it's really just about finding players that are going to fit our system. I mean, so, I, I got a bit fired up about this yes, this week did. on um, One Ideal and wrote up pretty much a thesis on the matter. But, you know, once I called down and, and sort of, looked back on it. I can definitely understand why people are frustrated because we, you know, we're coming off a season top four despite um, all the odds. Yeah, we had a, a really relatively easy strength of schedule, but we had some crucial injuries 
and we overcame that. And sort of there's a feeling that, you know, after a decade of mediocrity, this is our time. This is our window. Let's, you know, let's jump at it. Let's make a big move and, you know, take that next step. And I, I can't fault anyone for thinking that because, you know, as fans, we almost deserve success. After what we've been through, I don't think any other playing group, uh, playing group, any other supporting group, even Newcastle Knights can really understand what Eels fans have had to deal with on and off the field. Um, and so when you see that sort of flow back into that we want it now mentality, it, it is a bit harsh to, to criticize it the, that way you can potentially. But once again, patience is going to, to be the, the winner of the day for us. Um, there's a lot to be played out. There's, and we just, we just saw the Moylan Maloney swap, which is, you know, a blockbuster in terms of the NRL. You don't see player swaps that often. So there's clearly some, um, more maneuvering to be done in the market, not just by Parramatta. Newcastle sitting there with, you know, over a million dollars of cap space to be spent. They're nowhere near their salary cap floor for next year, which they're legally obliged to spend. So there's, there's going to be movements and Parramatta is in a position as a ideal spot to land players because we're, we play an attractive brand of football. Uh, players are encouraged to, you know, play football what's in front of them. Yes, there's structure, but you know, you, you can do stuff that you can't do at other clubs and we're clearly positioned for success. So we're a nice place to land as a footballer. Um, and if we have some patience, I think there'll be something to come. It's got me thinking, right? Our new stadium, our new stadium's going to be due in 2019. Midway through 2019. Maybe we're waiting out. Sorry, when, when's it going to be due? Uh, I think early, about mid early projections. But... They're, they're, on, they're on schedule. Yeah. They're on schedule, so we when... won't have a season launch at the stadium, which is unfortunate. But I think we can have like a mid-season debut there. Well, it's got me thinking maybe we're going quiet now, and then in that season we're going to sign a big name to complement, you know, like to to have momentum into that season with the new stadium. Hopefully, a major sponsor by then. Well, and like you know, ho- hopefully there's some major sponsor news very soon. Um, there, there was uh, a few, you know, rumors going around the traps that something should be announced like in the the near future. We just had uh, a new. Com- we mentioned last time there was a, a commitment to a the premier. Uh, is that the, the, the right thing? Premier partner. So hopefully there's a, a major sp- uh, partner announced within the next week or two. I mean, Bernie alluded to it back when um, TCT sat down with him for our um, tip sheet podcast that there was there was something in the works. So um, if that comes through, that'd be a nice sort of platform to launch into the 2018 memberships, along with any potential player signings. Um, but sorry, I had a I had a line of thought here, and now I've lost it. All right, well, we might wrap that up there because we're going on an hour and 20 minutes. Um, So, uh, to wrap it all up, anybody got something to plug? Yeah, I got the usual TCT stuff, but we've added content this time. Um, 60s has been busy at training. He got um, the week one report up on Friday of last week, and now he's got part one of his uh, two-part, I believe, week two um, series. Um, He highlighted Kayser Pritchard, who returned to training this week, um, who um, led the way at training. He was uh, fantastic in all the uh, conditioning testing, along with um, doing a lot of extras with young Tui Afualu, who is a 18-year-old centre that is training up with the first-grade team this preseason. Um, did a lot of work on correcting his passing technique, so that was after a pretty grueling training session. Um, Gaffo also featured. He's um, slaying away, doing um, 100-meter sprints, you know, really pushing that knee towards limits, and in between doing those sprints, he managed to find time to hit the fence and barrack for his um, other teammates going through their conditioning, 
know, sort of giving him a bit of hustle and cheer. So the bloke's an absolute machine. But um, his, uh, Craig, sorry, 60s is going to really um, crank that up in the coming weeks as players start to filter back. But uh, I'm not expecting pre-season training to hit its straps for the Eels until December, maybe, because that's a little bit of time after the World Cup wraps up, along with um, some of our other senior NRL players returning from their breaks. All right, Ricky. Oh, just the usual NRL news, the website nrlnews.com, Twitter at nrlnews, just, yeah, just just follow all the NRL news, basically. Just read it, enjoy it, absorb it, do what you want with it, so follow it. All right, and Birdie? Yeah, just my Twitter, Heaven one Yeah, that's it, really. <laughs> yeah, a bit, a bit downcast with that uh, Cowboys performance. Um, so there's not too much to plug on there. As, as, I, as I was saying earlier today, Dak got a, a rough welcome to Russell Wilson's world, baby. No O-line's not a fun place to be. All I'm going to say, Claiborne's in the Hall of Fame right now. You know, Taz <laughs> Green played him into the Hall of Fame. Oh, yes. Um, and if you want to catch us, we're at State, capital O, capital T, League on Twitter. Um, still getting everything else set up. Um, but that's on me. All right. Well, thanks again for uh, joining us for another look into the state of the league. Um, from myself, from Forty, from Ricky, and from Birdie, we will catch you next time. Au revoir. Yeah. Bye.